Blessings and greetings from the island of Puerto Rico. My name is Santos Torres. I'm a missionary here in the island of Puerto Rico where I do work uh, for the church, not only in Puerto Rico, but uh, the Caribbean, such as the uh, Dominican Republic. From um, an array of services, such as providing food baskets, medical supplies, uh, children's toys, doing ministry with uh, preaching and teaching, um, rebuilding homes, um, helping the, uh, the the community at large in uh, in Puerto Rico, not just in Aguadilla, but through the uh, entire island of Puerto Rico and the uh, Dominican Republic. This is all done thanks to the uh, generosity of Shelby Christian Church. You are all part of this work that is being done here. Although you're not here physically, but your contribution goes a long, long way. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning. Oh, come on now. It's November 29th. We just experienced the most awkward Thanksgiving of our lives, most of us. I need everybody to stand up a little bit. Stand up. And uh, we're just going to do a few things to kind of recover from Thursday. Everybody bend down. Let's touch those toes. Go as far as you can. Do three or four sets of that. I'll keep talking. Um, hey, we've got a marriage ministry event coming up very soon, next Sunday. It's uh, it's called Couples and Christmas and Coffee. It's, it's a really wonderful time. It's here at the church on Sunday during third service at 11:30 and then when we have one at 12:30 same thing just want to introduce some ideas of the ministry we can offer couples uh but we need people to sign up that are uh that are couples that have been married a long time that have grown up in the church that have uh, an understanding of what God wants out of their marriage doesn't mean your marriage is perfect but it does mean that you can help maybe a younger couple and mentor them so we've got a mentoring program that we've started uh, we need mentors uh, for the mentees that are coming, we're starting to get more couples that need help, and we want to be there for them, right, as a church. So uh, sign up for that in the back. Today's the last day for signing up. Uh, go back to the back table there and sign up for that. We'd love to have you be a part of that event. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning to worship together. Uh, thanks for being here. We're going to do some jumping jacks now, so if everybody... Uh, no, we're not, but we're going to do some worship, and uh, hopefully that'll wake you up from your turkey coma and get you ready to uh, face the season of Christmas uh, that is upon us. Did they not do an amazing job decorating this place? Yeah, uh, Mary Sturgill and a team of people uh, just spent a lot of time up here getting this place all decked out, and it looks wonderful. Hey, let's pray together, and then we'll worship together. Father God, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being present in what for many people has been a very difficult time. That your Holy Spirit comes in and speaks to our heart peace, love, life in you. That in the midst of the trials of 2020, you have been present and you know everything. And you know how hard it's been. But you also know that you have redeemed us for just a time as this. Help us as we recognize that and worship you this morning. That the words that come out of our mouths as song uh, would be 
meaningful, would be heartfelt, and towards you, our God, our Savior, our King, our Father. We love you, and we give you thanks in all seasons. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's sing about the great things he's done. Your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great. 
grab a seat. Graves into gardens, seas into highways, bones into armies, those references to Old Testament stories, history of the miraculous work of God. Pretty incredible, right? I think it's been a weird 2020. Would you agree with me in that? It, it's been weird. I don't know. How many, uh, the things that are going on with COVID and all that, how many had like an unusual Thanksgiving? Nothing like you've done in decades or a difficult Thanksgiving. You, uh, some of you guys are rebellious and you just did what you always do, didn't you? I'm not going to ask for hands for that one. Uh, it, it, for some, it was awkward. I mean, and, and then it's the awkwardness that happens when you have different degrees of... Uh, thought as to how we deal. Um, you have people that in your family, I'm not putting a mask on unless it's to fight in the revolution. And you have others that are like, uh, I'm, I've got to wear my mask when I go to the bathroom by myself. I mean, it's like, we, you know, we have these varying degrees. There's an awkwardness to that, right? Even when you go out in public, there's an awkwardness. You come to church, there might even be some tension about some of the stuff that's going on. And if you're like my family, even what we did on November 3rd causes tension and stress. If you're not familiar with what we did, it was an election. And it creates these moments that we just don't even see uh, sneaking up on us. And, and uh, we even went so far this year in our family, uh, we let everybody know that there is to be no political conversation this family uh, for thing we have very small gathering of people uh, but no we, we we outlawed politics which was uh actually refreshing and uh, the reason i'm talking to you about this is we kind of prepare our hearts for communion is because um the last supper might not have been that different you know jesus sent his disciples and they went and they prepared this feast together. They're going to eat with Jesus. And what they don't know is it's they're going to eat with Jesus for the last time. And they're reclining. And even though he's told them this several times, they're reclining at the table together and they're breaking bread. And then Luke 22 verse 19 says, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I'm sure they were used to Jesus saying all kinds of things they didn't understand. So they just went ahead and ate the bread. And, and some of them may have gotten and some of them didn't. In verse 20, it says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of, in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then he said this out loud. And it ended with an explanation point. And in the original language, it meant there would have been an emphasis, a, a tone, a volume, that uh, everybody in the room would have heard this. But the hand, verse 21, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. And one of the other gospels, it says that the one who dips his bread with mine is the one that's going to betray me. And the son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. It says in verse 23, they all began to question among themselves, which of them is it might be who would do this. Now that proclamation would have caused some great tension, don't you think? I mean, you ever have the side-to-side conversations? Maybe you got your in-laws there and they consider you an outlaw. And so 
you have another outlaw in your family and you sit and you talk about the rest of the family together. You do, everybody does that. Come on. Um, there, there are those awkward moments where discussions get tense, heated, disagreeable, even in a holiday. But in this moment with Jesus at this table, have you ever thought about the tension that was in that room? Because the person who was going to betray him was in the room with them. And there were other moments when Jesus washed their feet. It was a tense moment. It was that they lacked the understanding. There was just these places throughout the story of the Last Supper that cause us to realize, hey, it wasn't like this peaceful thing the whole time. It was difficult. It was difficult for Jesus because as he was handing the elements out, he's saying, this is the last time we get to do this, like this. But whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. I think helping us understand that, that those, those moments happen then will see us through difficult things that happen this year for us. And to be honest, uh, I've got great friends that post wise things uh, online and thing, uh, stuff like that that have said even in the midst of our weirdness of 2020, we got it better than almost everybody else in the world. And knowing the truth of this scripture here, that Jesus was going to sacrifice his life to die for me and my sins, which I so desperately needed, it's one of the things I can be most thankful for. That he went through, even through the tension and the awkward moments, to a place where he could worship God and say, God, your will be done And that he would give himself up so that you and I could be here this morning to worship him, to remember him, to examine ourselves, as Paul tells us in Corinthians, as we take the cup and the juice and we celebrate, as we remember, as we mourn, as we walk through this communion time. I want to encourage you just to take a moment and... Pray and and worship him and what he has done and give great thanks for his sacrifice and his resurrection. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you this morning that we're able to come around this table and uh, take a symbol of of your body and, and your blood. That the small little cracker and the little amount of juice remind us that you died for us. That you were tortured and beaten for us and you hung on a cross for us. And so as we gather as a church this morning and we take these emblems of, of your suffering, may we be reminded of the joy of your resurrection and life in you. That even in the midst of an awkward year, even in the midst of trial and circumstance, even in the midst of all the chaos that we can see around us, it is still better because we have you. And we can, we can come to the table and worship and bring all our burdens to you and lay them at your feet. Thank you for communion as a reminder 
a sacrament of what you have done for us. Thank you for everything. It's in Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
today. Uh, I'm glad you guys are here today and uh, getting used to, uh, I hate the phrase new normal, so getting used to things. We'll just, uh, we'll just call it that. And uh, man, I'm really glad to have folks online with us this morning. I love sitting in the back and kind of watching and seeing how many, where they're from. We got five or six different states already that I know about. Uh, and uh, Blake, your mom and dad are on, or at least they were. So, hey, Kenneth and Verley, hope you're still with us. I uh, love you guys. And, uh, man, it was really cool uh, to see that pop up on my feed back there. Uh, also, man, I just hope you guys uh, had a great Thanksgiving. I uh, hope you were really thankful for you and the seven other people that were at your house this week. Uh, and that you really uh, enjoyed uh, that time together uh, and uh, and just fellowship together. Here's where we are. I can't, I really almost kind of can't believe it. We are in the last section of the Gospel of Luke. 52 weeks ago, we started this journey uh, of a 2020 focus on Jesus, having no idea what we were going to need to focus on Jesus, how much we were going to need to focus on Jesus this year. And it's been one of the interesting things of the whole journey is that Luke's gospel really is just that. It's just a focus on Jesus. And in fact, Luke's gospel uh, doesn't give all the details to several different things, as we'll even see today. But the thing he focused on with details was Jesus. 
over and over again, giving details and focusing on Jesus. And that helps us so much uh, during troubled times. So I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're in the last 20 verses or so of Luke's gospel. And these are the, these are the final days of our Lord before he went back to heaven. And so I want you to remember the setting. We kind of set it up last week as we dug into the first half of the chapter. This is the original, the original Easter Sunday. All right. This is all taking place on the original <clears throat> Easter Sunday. The women went to the tomb to anoint the body uh, of Jesus, but the body wasn't there. The body wasn't there because he took it with him when he walked out. He was alive, and they needed to understand that. And so here, look back early. Just let your eyes scroll up earlier in the text <clears throat> at what the uh, angels told the women. I said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered the words, remembered his words. Remember, if you were here last week, we talked about that, how important it was for us to be able to remember his words. And for us to be able to remember his words, we had to know his words. And so we had to be engaged in in Scripture. And so later in the day, two of his disciples, they're they're heading home uh, on the road to Emmaus, about a a village that's about seven or eight miles uh, away from Jerusalem. And they were talking about all the events of the previous week, and they were discouraged. They're probably dragging their feet as they as they walk home. And all of a sudden, this stranger joins them and just kind of asks a simple question that if it were to be asked today, it would just simply be, he just showed up, and what's up? Because that's basically what Jesus did uh, in that moment. And, they, and then they're stunned. They didn't have a clue who it was. And they were stunned that uh, he didn't have a clue. Whoever this stranger was didn't have a clue about what had happened in Jerusalem in the past seven days. So they told him. They brought him up to speed. And then they were done. There was that, that kind of defining moment where Jesus kind of slightly rebuked them and reminded them of Scripture. In fact, this week, as I was as I was thinking about this and reading this over and over again, that was one of the things that I was kind of stunned or taken back. I started scrolling back through some of my previous notes of these days, and I was reminded of just how many times in those last days Jesus pushed them back to the Scripture. He pushed them back to the things that had been prophesied for, for literally hundreds of years. He pushed them back to scripture. And, and I couldn't help but think about how many times today that's what Jesus, if he were here in bodily form and he was talking to us today, that's what he would constantly do for us today is push us back to scripture. Push us back to reminder of what God has said and who he is and how he's defined himself over and over and over again and push us back into scripture. And so then the, these, these, this trio of guys, two men and, and Jesus, they get back to Emmaus and they invite the stranger into the home and they start to share a meal and then Jesus breaks the bread and blesses it and passes it around. And suddenly their eyes are open and they realize who it is and then he vanishes. He's gone. All right. That's all to lead up to where we need to start today. Okay. That's what we talked about last week. But if you look at verse 33 
in chapter 24. It says, and they rose that same hour. Now, excuse me. They, they're the they they're talking about, are these two guys that had been traveling from Emmaus, okay? Now, how far did we say that journey was from Jerusalem back to Emmaus? Seven or eight miles, okay? They've walked seven or eight miles. They get back there. They sit down. They get ready to start eating this meal. Jesus breaks bread. He blesses. They realize who he is. Uh, and then he disappears. And they, those same guys, that same hour got up and returned to Jerusalem. So they just walked seven or eight miles, all right? And suddenly they have this revelation, and they decide to go like seven or eight more miles back to tell everybody what's happened. That's like a Bradley Souter run in the morning, okay? Get up and let's just do seven or eight miles, and then let's do it again, all right? Let's go back and tell them what's just happened. And they get back and they, and they find the 11, uh, and they were just seen, they said, we've just seen Jesus. He joined us on the road and stopped to eat with us when we got to Emmaus. And then he just disappeared. But we, look at this next phrase. This is critical. But we know for certain. We are absolutely sure. We're 100% on. He's alive. He's alive. And every eye in the place was on these two guys. I bet it was. You could hear a pin drop as they shared every single detail of what happened. You know, like I said, from the beginning of Luke's gospel, his focus has been on Jesus. And that's where it is right here as we close today. And I want you to see three things in these last few verses. First of all, the, the obvious is about to happen. It's another appearance by the king. It's the king's appearance. It actually starts in verse 36. So so remember, just get your mind right. These two guys have come all the way back to Jerusalem. They found this group of people. They start telling them what's happened to them and that they've seen Jesus a certain lot, that he's alive. And then verse 36, it says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Now, in one of the other gospel accounts, it says they were all together in an upper room that was locked. Maybe the same upper room where they had had communion, we're not sure. But one of the other gospel writers makes sure to point out the room was locked. They're inside because they're still afraid. They don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of hours since they've actually killed Jesus. And, and now that the word is out that maybe he's alive, they're afraid that people are going to come. So they're in this locked room and suddenly Jesus himself stood among them and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. And then this, I love this. Then he asked, do you got anything to eat? I just thought that was kind of funny. You know, they're talking about like raising from the dead. They got anything to eat up in here? And, 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 and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. You see, it's one thing, it's, it's one thing to, to hear about great news. 
It's one thing to hear about great news. Every one of us in this room, I know, has every one of us in this room at some point in time has had a family member, somebody, a best friend, somebody that we deeply care about that has that has shared like great news uh, uh, about they were going to have a baby or they, the baby had come and the baby was healthy and it was alive. And it's great to hear that great news, right? But that doesn't compare to experiencing the great news, does it? Nothing compares to actually experiencing the great news. And so the people there, they're hearing these stories and a few of them in the room had, had experienced it, but now all of a sudden everybody else in the room gets to experience it. He appears out of nowhere in this locker room and he says, peace be with you. I want you to think for a moment, maybe if you're online, I want you to just type in a one or two word answer. How would you have responded in that moment? All that's going on and Jesus just shows up. Peace be with you. What would your first thought have been? What were the first thing going through your mind? Luke says that they were startled and frightened and thought they uh, saw a spirit or a ghost. In John's gospel, he tells us that Mary Magdalene thought that it was the gardener. Okay? Um, Imagine this moment. The disciples and a few others are talking about the possibility, just the possibility of Jesus being alive and suddenly he's there and basically says, it's okay. It's okay, I'm here. Now, now they have bodily proof. Or at least everybody that there is in the room has bodily proof. There, but there was, there was still so much, so much they couldn't understand. But Jesus is standing right there in front of them. Imagine experiencing that. Imagine experience. Sometimes it's hard for me to fathom reading about that. I can't imagine experiencing that. But they were still skeptical. Not necessarily, I don't think necessarily out of fear. It just seemed too good to be true. In fact, I want you to think about this for a moment. If you're online, type it in there. Maybe answer this question. When have you thought something was too good to be true and then found out that it was true? We have those things happen to us occasionally. Like, this really can't be happening to me. I really didn't just get this job promotion that I had really hoped I would get. Or I really can't believe they just took my offer on that house. I really can't believe we're having a baby after all these years of trying. And we heard news that we just thought sounded too good to be true. And then we found out it was. But let me ask you this. Why was it so hard for them to believe this? Why was it really so hard? I mean, here's the deal. Scripture that Jesus kept pointing them back to, Scripture had been telling them that this was going to happen for hundreds of years. It had been prophesied. Jesus himself had been telling them that for three years. Mary and the ladies had been telling them this for hours. Peter had come running back out of breath to tell them this. Cleopas, one of the guys on the way to Emmaus, and his friend come back to tell them this happened. So why is it so startling for them to believe this? Because a dead man standing in front of them alive. That's hard. That's hard to get your, your, your head around and, and, and to get your heart around. Another question for you to consider. Can you remember a time when 
you struggled with something in Scripture only to have the Holy Spirit reveal its meaning to you. Because there are those times that we've heard things, we've been told things, things happen. I mean, how long did it take you the very first time that you were in in children's church or Sunday school or vacation Bible school or maybe on the way to church this morning and you heard for the first time uh, about Moses raising his rod and God parting the Red Sea. And wasn't that a little bit hard to get your mind around? Or what about the very first time that you heard about this giant fish that swallowed a guy and he lived in there for three days and then got spit up and everything was okay? There's, there's things that it's just kind of hard to get our minds around. <laughs> Dead men walking is on the top of the list, I would think. To get your mind around it, no matter how much you want to believe it. In the middle of their amazement, though, <laughs> Jesus throws them this curveball. I mean, they're talking about prophecies being fulfilled and this and that and the other thing. <laughs> and then literally, Jesus says, you got anything to eat? I mean, with the, even I, I've read this hundreds of times before in this week when I read that, I just, LOL. I just like, it just hit me that way. I was just like, really? All this, and then it dawned on me. He's still affirming to them that he's not a ghost. That, that he still, he still is God in flesh. He showed them his hands and his feet, and then he eats with them. See, a ghost wouldn't do that. That that was something they'd done multiple times together to eat together. It's just another way of of him letting them know, it's me. It's me. John chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus tells them uh, prior to his betrayal and arrest, you will have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. And your hearts will rejoice And no one will take that joy from you. And that time has now come. The king has appeared and is starting to appear more and more to more and more people. And then in these next verses, starting in verse 44, we see that there's still more teaching that needs to be done. Because he's given them the bodily proof. Now he needs to give them the biblical proof. And there is an assertion. Of who he really is. Look at verse 44. Jesus says, and this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that he could understand scripture. I love that. It's open, let, help them to understand it. Ken Hughes is a commentator who said, This encounter was undoubtedly the ultimate teaching moment in all of history. Jesus would have just simply sat down, seated himself, taking the traditional posture of a teacher, and as he gestured, as he gestured uh, in the candlelit room, just like when I, and I realize, and, I, and sometimes I try to control a little bit. I realize I get animated and, and I start kind of waving and, and coaching and those things. But imagine Jesus, and every time he moved his hands, you could see the holes. Every motion he made was a reminder of, of who he was and what had happened. And what the disciples learned that night, Hugh says, uh, and in succeeding conversations during the next 40 days before Christ's ascension back uh, became the biblical substance for their preaching of the gospel 
and for their mission. Verse 45, he opened their eyes. He opened their eyes so they could understand Scripture. He enabled them, and he points back to things that they would have known because obviously the New Testament hadn't been written because it's being lived out right here in front of them. So he's pointing back to things from centuries before, all the way back to Moses and and to Abraham and to the law and to prophets and to what the psalmist wrote about. And he helps them to understand that, and he reminded them of what he had told them, explained how it all is coming together. How it all is coming together. One of my favorite TV shows in the late 70s and early 80s was Hill Street Blues. I love watching Hill Street Blues and I love when they would have the the roll call and me and then I can't remember the guy's name, the old guy that was in, in church. I said, I love it when a plan comes together. And then I think the guy at A-Team said the same thing. I love it when a plan comes. Guess what? A plan's coming together. It's all coming together. Everything that has been prophesied is coming together. Look now at verse 46. It says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance here, this is key. He, he's bringing true repentance into the situation. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you guys are witnesses of these things. You've seen it. You know it's real. I'm going to send you, uh, what my father has promised, but stay here in the city until you've been clothed with the power from on high. See, this is Luke's version. This is Luke's interpretation of Jesus' teaching of the Great Commission, where Jesus gave the mandate to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. See, if you look back in verses 46 and verse 47 in your, in your text today, Jesus literally gives them the gospel. He reminds them, Christ died. Christ died. He was buried. And on the third day rose from the dead. So that repentance and forgiveness of sins could be shared and proclaimed to all nations. Starting right here in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem because this is where it's going down. And then it's going to spread from there. One commentator said the gospel of Luke ends by putting the reader in the same position As the apostles and disciples, everyone who names, listen to this, everyone, 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 all, everyone, look around the room and try to figure out who everyone is, all right? Everyone. The only qualifier is everyone who names the name of Jesus is responsible to proclaim the truth. It's our job. That's what we're called to do. The baton's been passed from generation to generation, and it's our responsibility to pass the baton to the next generation. And then he gives them this privilege. You are the witnesses of these things. Verse 49, look at that. He promised to give them the power to proclaim it. He says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of a father unto you. But stay here in the city until you're clothed with the power from on high. This is Luke's 
in his in his follow up letter, which is the 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 Acts, the book of Acts that we'll talk about in just a minute. This is actually Acts one eight, only given to us in Luke twenty four, because Acts one eight says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's what Jesus is telling him is going to happen. And then in Acts one eight, we say you're going to find that power. It's going to come on you, and you'll be witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love preacher Warren Wiersbe, great writer. He said, as Christians, we are not judges or prosecuting attorneys sent to condemn the world. We are witnesses who point to Jesus Christ and tell lost sinners how to be saved. We're witnesses. We're witnesses. You know, uh, watching, watching crime shows, being involved in court proceedings, you know what is critical? What is critical in a trial? It's critical in a trial that the witnesses are 100% confident. They know what they witnessed. They experienced it. Nobody can talk them out of it. They are 100% confident. So let me ask you, what would your testimony be? If, If today... In this moment, in the next hour when you've left here and you're out somewhere else, if you, if you were called to give testimony, called to be a witness, what would your testimony be? And are you 100% confident? And then the climax. We've seen the, the king's appearance and the king's assertion, and now we get to read and see the king's ascension. See, Luke's a true historian, and he's painting, he's giving us everything here. And, and what he's about to talk about here in these last three, four verses, it didn't happen that day. He skipped a period of time up to verse four, up to verse forty nine. That's all happening on that first Easter Sunday night after he's risen and all that. And then there's this there's this gap that the other gospel writers, and we'll see in a minute, some of the other following writers tell us about. There's this gap. This didn't happen on on Easter Sunday night, but Jesus ascension is the beginning of what we'll read about in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days. So between verses 49 and 50, there's 40 days. He was speaking about the kingdom of God. The first Sunday, we know Jesus appeared to him. We've talked about it for the last two weeks now. He appeared to Peter and the two men on the road to Emmaus, to Mary Magdalene, to the apostles, now to many others. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 26 tells us that a week later, a week after Easter, he finally appears to the disciples again. And Thomas is with them this time because Thomas wasn't there the first time. And so he didn't believe. And so John tells us that story of, of Jesus telling Thomas, here, you touch my hands. And then he appears to them again on the on the beach as they've been fishing and <clears throat> fixes breakfast for them and really restores Peter uh, into being a leader that's going to feed the sheep that then kicks off the book of Acts. Even Paul writes about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5, Paul tells us that Jesus <clears throat> appeared to Cephas or Peter. Uh, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. 
Most of them, Paul kind of throws in, most of them are still alive if you want to go ask them. Though some have fallen asleep or died, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, see, Paul's talking there about the road to Damascus. He said, I've seen him. I've seen him. But But in verse 50, in verse 50, we see it's time for Jesus to go back into heaven. And so he leads them out to Bethany. Remember Bethany, just outside of the city? It's kind of where this this week, this triumphal entry started a, a few weeks ago now. Uh, and it, it, he's getting ready to come from Bethany down into the city. Now he leads them back up to Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them, blesses them, and he leaves. See, Luke's gospel began with the story of the Lord Jesus Christ's arrival on earth. And it ends with his departing from it. His life began with condescension, and it ended with ascension. It began with incarnation, and it ends with exaltation. It began with expectation, and it ends with consummation. It began with the Son of God being born and descending to earth, being born of a virgin and descending to earth. And it ends with the Son of God being born back from the dead and ascending back into heaven. It begins with hope unrealized and it ends with hope realized. It began with a promise and ends with a fulfillment. It began, it began with the praise of Mary and Zachariah and Simeon and Anna all worshiping the anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. And it ended with the worship and praise of those who witnessed his departure. Look back in your text, these last verses. Verse 51 says, While he blessed them, he parted from them, was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They saw Jesus, he was blessing them, and the last we saw of them They were worshiping him. And it's supposed to be like that ever since and until he returns again. So as we finish this whole thing up, there's two really important thoughts that I want to leave you with. And they're right here at the end. They're right here at the end, but it's, it's, I think, our marching orders. It's our call. And if we look here, what happened? The the first thing they did is he's leaving to go back up. It says they worshipped him. They worshipped. With the ascension, all the disciples fully understood. And they bowed in awe and adoration. I can't believe what we've just experienced I can't believe, and it's amazing to me that this time they didn't talk about them being scared. They're just in awe, and they worshiped him as he just goes back to be with the Father. The gospel ought to do the same thing to us. The gospel ought to do the same thing to us today. We understand, and we bow in awe and worship, and therefore we are called to worship him. But then the second thing, That's the big call. They witnessed. 
They witnessed that sequel book that I've mentioned a few times this morning, the book of Acts, Luke's sequel to his gospel account, tells the amazing story of how those early believers not only worshiped, but they, they witnessed. In fact, their worship propelled them to witness to a lost and dying world. The message of the gospel, how Jesus came to this world and lived and died and rose again so we could live forever ought to propel us to tell everyone that we possibly can, just like those guys who ran seven miles back from Emmaus, just to tell everybody, hey, this we don't understand all of what just happened to us, but here's what we know for sure. He's alive. He's alive. And, and, and we are all called to be witnesses of that. I love the way Luke ends the gospel. Verses 52 and 53. They worshiped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Guys, I don't know about you, but I think that's why we're here today. We're worshiping Jesus because of who he is. Because of what he's done for us. Susan Lehman was a high school math teacher in Louisville. And one fall several years ago, when they actually had real class, on, on the early day of class, one of the early weeks of class, they were just kind of doing an assignment. She had a group of, of 16, 17-year-olds and uh, in her class, uh, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and they're brainstorming. They're just going through an exercise where they're just thinking out of the box, and they're brainstorming. And the question that day that they're thinking about is, who are the top six people that you'd like to be stranded on a desert island with? The top six people. If you're stranded, who do you want to be there with? Well, naturally, the, the students began listing just some famous people. You know, hey, I'd like to be with this new model or this actor or this movie star, this athlete, this musician. And one, one student, I guess, trying to get a better grade or brownie points, even throughout the principal's name. Uh, and, and then they begin to think about survival finally <laughs> things like basic necessities and 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 then suddenly you know, a bunch of teenagers food became a priority all right who do you want to be with it so somebody mentioned dave from wendy's <laughs> uh, another crocodile dundee and another one even suggested the professor from gilligan's island he knew how to do everything <clears throat> and then mrs layman reminded them they're going to need shelter one young man in the back of the room said well put Jesus on that list. He was a carpenter. And then someone else said, yeah, and, and if we get sick, he could heal us. Another said, yeah, hunger's not an issue. We wouldn't go hungry. He'd just perform a miracle. And then finally, a young lady said this. said, if we had Jesus, we wouldn't need anyone else. <laughs> Isn't that what this is really all about? If we had Jesus... We wouldn't need anyone else. So we got to finish it this way. Do you have him? Do you know him? The theme of today is how he's our victorious king, or that's the, it's kind of Paul's part. But today the question is, is he your king? Have you surrendered? If not, that's, that's why we, that's why we've spent 52 weeks 
telling you about this guy. And that's why we offer a decision time every week. Because we never know when it's going to be somebody's day to make Jesus king of their life. Would you guys stand with me? 2020, man. (laughs) Wow. Who knew? It was a crazy year. Crazy year. And we needed our focus to be on Jesus the entire year. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. Maybe today what he need, he need to add to he's king of my life. And so while the guys lead us in singing, I just want to encourage you to just give whatever you need to give to Jesus, either right where you are. If you need to make him king of your life and you need to talk to someone about that, Jason's down here, Bradley's back here, Terry's back here. We've got other elders in the room. We've got people that can talk to you about that. Dennis is back here. We, 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 we'd gladly walk you through that journey. But maybe you just need to do some business right where you are. And, and truly surrender to the only way maker. Let's do that now. Cause even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Cause even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. guys for being here today. Hey, part of the decorations that Kevin mentioned uh, this morning is there's a photo wall set up in the back. Uh, so if you want to stop back there today and get family picture and stuff, uh, that's cool. Uh, if you want to come in during the week uh, and take a family picture that you use for a Christmas card or whatever, uh, just let us know and We'll make sure the doors are open and get you in for that. Uh, if you're new here today, we've got a gift for you at the I'm New Wall. we got some folks back in the next step room uh, that love to help you on your journey. Guys, have a great week. We'll be back next week. It'll be December, and we'll start our Christmas series uh, leading up to the end of the year. You guys have an awesome week.
Got a 